This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. So a brewer has a spec of 100 and um, the, the maltster produces a lot at 150. It's not going to meet the brewer's needs, but he's now got two or three lots at 80, so he's going to blend the 150s in there. That 150 is going to show up. It creates an environment where you have a higher level of inconsistency in the material that's being delivered to the brewer. This week on the show, we continue conferencing vicariously from the Master Brewers Live event during the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary, where former Master Brewers Technical Director Mark Sammartino joined me to talk about trials using exogenous enzymes in malting to get brewers more consistent malt and make life easier in the malt house. Um, Mark, we're talking about beta-glucanases in malting. Give us some background. Well, uh, we know that beta-glucanases work well in, in the brewery, and the concept of variable malt being supplied to the, to the a brewer from, from the maltsters uh, is where we started with the concept of trying to understand whether or not a brewery-based exogenous enzyme could work in the malt house. With maltsters today, we see them attacking their processes, reducing their water, Content reducing their cycle times uh, in an effort to save money makes sense, uh, but what that does for the outcome is is it increases the variability of a lot of the analytics associated with the malt that the brewers are getting, um, specifically beta glucans. You see a lot of variability with that, and then uh, maltsters take license to blend that variability away into the specs of the material that they're providing to the uh, to the brewer and I think that often creates a problem because you, you just simply can't blend away a 250 or 300 part per million beta glucan uh, beta glucan and uh, and hide it 
uh, it's going to show up uh, to the brewer. So by adding the beta-glucanase in the malt house, um, we can level that playing field out and provide not only the maltster with a tool to deliver the quality that the brewer is looking for, it helps the brewer out by getting that consistency that he needs in the raw material. All right, so what uh, these trials you did here, uh, talk about what sort of, sort of the main goal of the, the trials were. Well, really, it was to see whether or not it's going to work. Uh, and they, they surprised us, which was funny. Uh, we used a whole array of, of different uh, beta-glucanases across the industry as well as across what DuPont has available. Um, and the initial thought was that a general-use beta-glucanase something that didn't really have a specific target, just worked on beta-glucans and and xylans with the xylanase, might be the best tool because of the construction of the the way the kernel's set up. Um, But as it turns out, it wasn't. The Laminex MaxFlow 4G turned out to be, by a factor of two, better than any other uh, enzyme that that hit hit the process. And, And we scratched our head on that going... Okay, does this make sense? Because you're really addressing a kernel, and you're addressing the, the layers of the kernel, and you're trying to get through that the, those, those layers in order to hydrate the kernel. But as you hydrate, you solubilize. So as you solubilize, then they become an interference to water hydration. And by using the beta-glucanase, the Laminex MaxFlow 4G, it was able to open those channels up, let the hydration in better, and give the, the monster that tool in order to, to work forward and, and get that uh, hydration process faster and more complete within the entire kernel. So again, the experiment really was up front to see whether or not it would work. And then um, then from there, it kind of surprised us. We saw increased extract, decreases in viscosity, you know, um, the ability to manipulate the water levels. You could drop from a typical 45% moisture and germination or 46% moisture and germination to 40% moisture and germination. You could go off kiln or off uh, germ to kiln at lower moisture, shorten your cycle time in kilning. And the whole thing kind of just mapped out as, holy crap, this really works. And it works in a manner that it provides both the maltster and the brewer with tools to create better quality material. Talk about the theory behind why an external application of xylanase can shorten steep times. Well, again, it's all hydration. So the, the concept of what you're trying to do in germination is to get the kernel to grow. And, and in order to get the kernel to grow, it's got to set its own um, uh, enzyme pathways up. Enzymes need hydration to move, and as you wet a kernel during a normal malting process, it's it's inconsistent. The husk material, the husk will get up to fifty percent, and then the next layers will be a little bit um, uh, lower in moisture. And then to get into the internal part of the carbohydrate part of the the kernel gets in, into a lower moisture yet, and so the hydration process is kind of a spectrum. the The concept here was to literally bore holes into the into the grain by eating through the cellulose layers uh, and eating through the um, uh, arabinoxylin layers or pieces in the into the in the layers cell walls in order to let moisture level through those cell walls the cell walls are set up each layer is set up to, as a barrier to protect 
the kernel. It's a barrier to moisture, it's a barrier to insects, a barrier to fungus and things of that nature. Uh, so they, they actually will regulate O2 intake, they'll regulate water intake, etc. So if you can get openings created in those layers to let more moisture in at a controllable level, you can hydrate that kernel faster and you can get those enzyme actions going that are normal within the, the kernel at a faster rate. And that's what we're seeing with this process. Can we talk about sort of how the breakdown of beta-glucans and germination is a cascade of processes? Mm -hmm. Well, when you look at um, attacking or the actual malting process, it's really really a series of events that take place. The first, and you'll watch maltsters, they'll actually profile a temperature profile in germination in order to sort of favor the proteolysis uh, proteolytic enzymes first to kind of open up the gaps around uh, within the within the um, uh, the wrapping of the starch kernels and and penetrate into the other layers and then once that that digestion's taken place you've kind of exposed the arabinose islands first and then the beta glucans next so you get this you get this digestion of the proteins first and you get this digestion of the arabinose islands next and then you get this digestion of the beta glucans all allowing more and more moisture to penetrate deeper and deeper into the kernel and they get farther and farther into the, the starch granules so you can actually start digesting more and more of that material around each one of the granules so you actually have very little of it around and then then you've reached your full level of modification okay let's get into sort of the setup of the trials that you're in talk about that well that's an interesting thing so you know you've got to get um besides the fact that we went through a series of of uh, pilot trials and i'm talking very small pilot trials multiple enzymes different conditions you tried different enzyme rates you tried different times of addition um, uh, different temperatures, actually, in some cases, the usage of not usage of, and then you kind of take that information, put it all together, and say, all right, what worked, what didn't work, what worked well, what worked okay, and then then you take those four or five solutions from the fifty or sixty that you started with, and then you start talking to con- commercial or large pilot operations and asking them to see whether or not they're willing to support the next phase of work, which we did get some trials here and there. And then we've got some longer trials. And the longer trials allowed us to actually manipulate the moisture levels uh, and get the cycles times to be adjusted. So uh, we could see that the application affected the beta-glucans, but at the same time affected our ability to hydrate and allow us to increase the efficiencies in the malt house. So you could leave your beta-glucans at the same level if you're happy with them at 50, 60, 80, 100 parts per million. Uh, and at the same time, take a cycle time down, take a moisture level down, take a, a kilning cycle down, uh, and, and use this as a tool to manipulate the process. So that's how we got to you know the end of the process. And it's really a marriage of all of these put together. You really can't you could. You could just add the beta-glucanase and say, all I want to do is focus on uh, just beta-glucans. And I've seen this, take a beta-glucan level in a malt that's maybe 100 as a regular value and drop it to in the teens. So you got to ask the question, what's the value of that? You know, you really would like to have a little bit of beta-glucan content in your in your product. It adds mouthfeel, adds texture, etc. So dropping it all the way down doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you've got a, a malt that produces 100 one day, 120 the next day, 200 the next day, 
that's where this, this enzyme can also play in. But at the same time, you could use it to shorten your cycle times up, get some benefit for shorter kiln cycles, get some benefit for additional production run uh, through germination in your facility, and, and everybody wins. Yeah. Okay, well, tell us more about the, the trials that you're presenting here in terms of uh, where you ended up. So you, you did some different dose points at different phases during malting. Lay that out for us. Well, it's, it's clear that, as I said, hydration becomes a, a key point. In fact, I was just talking to a malster earlier, and, and his specific, specific process um, that he was playing with the enzyme, and he's, uh, his complaint was it wasn't working. And, and my comment back is that you're not coming off steep at a high enough moisture because you really want to add this enzyme only once and you want to add it in the last step of hydration so you you want the you want to get it to a point where the the malt is still thirsty and you get it to a maximum level of of watering uh, early in the process enough for it to be effective and then let the moisture level drop and, and lead you in the kiln at that, at that specific moisture level that you're looking for. Uh, so we settled in at about 150 parts per million. You can add more and you can get more digestion of beta-glucans, but again, you start asking the question on cost and value and, and then the benefits of reducing beta-glucans to a point where it doesn't make sense, uh, as well as how much can you take out of the cycle time. So it's sort of that balance. But uh, 150 parts per million added at the last watering step that you have in your process, and we target that to be within the first 24 hours. So I've seen additions that work very well around 20, 24 to maybe 28 hours after entry into germ. But if you do it any sooner and you have to have additional watering runs, you actually will wash the enzymes off the off the exterior. You won't get the same level of impact. And it probably can't. I guess if you add it too early, there's not enough water to move it around within the kernel, right? Right. As well as uh, to get it to actually move, not necessarily in the kernel, but into the kernel. Right. Right. Okay. Um, well, why don't you give us some numbers on the results um, from these trials? Tell us what you saw. Well, that's a difficult um, concept. Uh, when you look at barley. Each barley variety, and, and for that matter, each malt house has its own characteristics. And, and so you'll, without talking specifics, because uh, some of it's proprietary, um, you can have barley that normally produces uh, beta-glucans at 60, as an example, um, and have this, uh, leave it at 60 with your addition, and take, say, uh, two hours off your kiln cycle. Uh, because you can drop your moisture levels or even shorten your germ, your germ cycle by maybe 10% in that over the course of, you know, a long period of time could allow you to increase the capacity of your malt house by 10% or 15% in order to, uh, to make that work. But I've also seen beta-glucan levels uh, 200 uh, coming down in the 80s, you know, um, on a regular basis, not being able to shorten your cycle time because now you're focused primarily on the beta-glucans. So you really have to have the time in order to get the beta-glucans all the way down. If you're not trying to get the beta-glucans all the way down, you can start taking time off your cycle. So it's kind of a, a marriage of all what's available to you, time or moisture levels in that matter. Makes sense. can't blend away elevated beta-glucan levels. Um, Malsters do it. 
Okay, and, and they do the same thing with extract, they do the same thing with viscosity, etc. And it's all part of the process of trying to sell material to the market. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweetbread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character, suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. Additional support provided by Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com slash MBAA. As you might imagine, there still aren't any opportunities to gather in person for district meetings, but that doesn't slow us down. After all, Master Brewers, which was formed in 1887, has survived more than one pandemic. Spring and summer have brought us numerous webinars and virtual district meetings, many of which can be replayed on demand. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect is now open with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details or check the direct link in the show notes. You've probably heard of or even attended one of the famous two-week courses that Master Brewers puts on each year in Madison. Well, those classes will be all virtual this year, which means you can now get the same education without spending money to travel and while taking advantage of 45% off course tuition. The Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins October 11th, and the Brewing and Malting Science course starts October 25th. The Master Brewers Podcast Working Group still needs representation from a few more districts. Look for details in the Master Brewers Communicator or go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash working group. Now back to the show. Uh, 
Um, modern day maltsters have shaved days off traditional malting t- process times. Talk about what that's led to. Well, that's uh, that's part of the problem um, in some respects. It, it creates an environment where you have a higher level of inconsistency in the material that's being delivered to the brewer. Now, I, as I said in my presentation, you really can't blend away elevated beta-glucan levels. Um, Molsters do it. Okay, and, and they do the same thing with extract, they do the same thing with viscosity, etc. And it's all part of the process of trying to sell material to the market. So a brewer has a spec of 100, and um, the, the malster produces a lot at 150. It's not going to meet the brewer's needs, but he's now got two or three lots at 80, so he's going to blend the 150s in there. That 150 is going to show up. Uh, so this, this kind of led to that investigation is can we give the monster a tool to, to help him in this process reductions pro, um, sequence he's trying to take time out trying to take moisture out trying to shorten his kiln cycles that variability affects the brewer but it also affects the monster in that he's got to deal with this blending he's got to deal with handling this material he's got to deal with the concept of telling a, a, mal, a brewer that he's got high quality material um, so by giving him this tool, he can he can avoid all of that and create uh, consistent and high quality material. While at the same time, he's able to take the time out of his process, takes the headaches out of his process, etc. The other piece of this, <clears throat> which is something we didn't really talk about, is sometimes we get approached by monsters that have already done all of this. They've already taken their kiln cycles down to 24 hours. They've already taken a day and a half out of germination. They've already got their moisture levels down to 40, 42%. And they say, all right, well, I need a tool to help me go further. And I think what we've run into is that you've reached just about a maximum uh, in that process. The grain's got to grow. And does the application of a beta-glucanase in this particular situation help? Um, it won't help much. Okay, uh, so it, so the caution I have is that when you've got somebody that's already done the work and, and gotten themselves to this state, it's okay in a steady state if you have the right barley to do that. And there are a couple maltsters that only malt one or two different specific types of barley, and they've got their processes honed really well. And we've tried it with them. Sure, we can drop their beta-glucan levels, but when you drop an 80 to a 60, who cares? You know, uh, so it, it's kind of a, a two-edged sword. So I guess another way to say it is that exogenous enzyme application can add a little flexibility to a process that otherwise has less and less wiggle room. Right. And so as they get tighter and tighter, it's getting more and more difficult for them to maintain that lack of variability. You wanted to make sure there was no enzyme carryover into the Congress warts during these trials. Uh, talk about some of the analytics there. Okay. Uh, it, it was one of the questions that bugged the crap out of us, too. Uh, we weren't really quite sure whether or not... Um, these are big molecules, okay? I mean, you got to think about the size of an enzyme. It's a big molecule. And is it really getting through the husk, getting through each one of these layers uh, into the central part of the, of the uh, kernel? And we weren't sure. We weren't sure if we were leaving it on the outside of the grain. The, everything worked well. Uh, so we started playing around. Well, we got questioned by some of the folks doing the tests with us, and and we were questioning ourselves. And so we pushed the calcofloor testing. 
to see whether or not we could actually show that we had enzymes penetrating and showing actual digestion inside the kernel, which it was very clear that we had increased activity at the levels that we thought we would see based upon the reductions we're seeing in the beta-glucans. We also took the time to wash the grains prior to um, doing the Congress warts to make sure that anything that was on the outside of the grains was taken off. So it's a rinsing process and then going ahead with the Congress warts. But the last piece of that was we went ahead and, and, all right, let's just kill everything in the kernel. There is some protease activity. There is a little bit of beta-glucanase activity after kilning, et cetera. So we just decided, you know, the amount that we're talking about, it's not significant when you talk about well-kilned uh, pale malts. Um, let's just go ahead and and, uh, and treat the uh, barley or malt in this particular case uh, with 130 degrees C temperature for four hours and pretty much eliminate every bit of enzymatic activity in the kernel and then do the Congress wort and see what we have from a from a beta-glucan standpoint. And the numbers pretty much played out that it's it, uh, it the reductions did occur. It's part of the process. It's not part of the enzymes that are left over in the uh, in the kernel. Any other major benefits or observations you'd like to mention? Well, it, it's a growing process. I think you're going to have to uh, keep looking at it uh, for more and more potential with it. How far can you actually push the process? Um, like I said, I think we've pretty much map that out, but every time we get to that stage, is there something else you can do in order to, to make the next stage? We've begun looking at other exogenous enzymes to see whether or not, in combination, we could play an additional game, um, addition of proteases as an example, and can that help with the protein breakdown and speed that piece up, which is early in the digestion. So maybe a, a bit of a protease with a beta-glucanase, silanase, in the long run might take another day out. Who knows? It's just something that we have to spend some time working on to see how it works out. Did you get any interesting uh, questions during your presentation? Uh, just the question about whether or not the enzyme was uh, genetically modified. And the key point of that is you, you, no enzyme is genetically modified. It's uh, the organism itself is genetically modified. There's no question. Uh, and, and then you get into all kinds of definitions of what's genetically modified, what's not genetically modified. But for the most part, most of these organisms are what, what I would classify as they have a cloning process where they you insert additional copies of the DNA sequence to make the enzyme. So that's how you make the process efficient. So you're trying to make a beta-glucanase and you have an organism that normally makes a beta-glucanase. You feed it and you treat it uh, and in such a manner that it forces the production of the beta-glucanase. And that, So that's how you make it. So that's not a very efficient process. Uh, so if you can insert four or five more copies of that DNA sequence into that organism, you'll make more of that beta-glucanase and, and create a production process that makes sense. All enzymes are made the same way in that manner. Uh, when you get into genetic modification, uh, are you actually changing um, the organism in such a manner uh, to effectively impact the, the enzyme in a way that changes its sequence? Okay? That's a very rare event, and, and these enzymes are not uh, part of that role. Uh, there are enzymes produced, um, used for mankind in many cases to help with um, diseases, et cetera, that are highly engineered in that manner in order to help, but uh, food production enzymes aren't. Awesome. Anything else you want to mention? 
No, other than uh, it's been cool. Um, it's it's uh, one of those things that I ran into with a particular enzyme that just blew my mind. And uh, as I said, this enzyme only focuses, primarily focuses on the water-soluble side of the beta-glucans and the xylans. And that's rather unique when you look at a beta-glucanase. Because beta-glucanases in general and for historically have torn into grain and done more damage in many cases. Because brewers have a tendency that more is better. Okay, so in many really? cases, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you add more beta gluconases to a to a process, it's you're actually hurting yourself. You're not going to run off. You, you add the beta gluconases in order to reduce the beta glucans and the xylans in order to give yourself a better runoff characteristics. So brewers say, well, I want to run off more, so I'll add more beta gluconases. Well, it tears up the cellulose structure and gives you a mushy water tub bed, and it's horrible. This particular enzyme is really cool in that you can overdose it. Okay, I mean, I'm not recommending you overdose it, but you can overdose it and it doesn't hurt you because it only works on what goes into solution and not what's sitting there. There's one more piece associated with that. So when you look at the ferulic acid substitution on beta-glucans and xylans, actually the xylan structure, uh, is about one in five molecules of, uh, of the uh, arabinose, you have a ferulic acid in the non-soluble uh, portion of the beta-glucan uh, beta cellulose structure. In the soluble side, it's about 1 in 20. So if you're only eating up the soluble side, you're releasing less ferulic acid, which creates that 4-VG type note in the product, which is kind of unique for light lagers. Is one of those notes you don't want to have hanging around. So this particular enzyme is also very good at keeping the, the 4-VG notes uh, under wraps. So... Uh, what are your thoughts on the practical uh, on this being a practical application for the the smallest of maltsters, so the craft malt guys? I think it's better. Uh, it gives you. I think it's better for a small guy to be looking at it. When you look at the variability in their process, their ability to control airflow temperatures versus a large malt house, you know, you're talking uh, quantities of scale. They have more opportunity for variation, which creates more opportunity for variation in the finished product. Uh, what's nice about this for the small guy is I think this is one of those things that, that will help them eliminate a lot of that variability. There's one more thing that I, I want to uh, touch upon besides the, the small craft brewer, and that's the use of, of enzymes in general. So um, I, I get that question, you know, why, are, why, why would we be interested in, in using enzymes as an all-natural process, et cetera? That becomes a self-serving question in some respects, and it, and it is what it is, okay? If you want to face five, six, seven-hour runoffs because you're using a material that's got high beta-glucan xylan content and you feel that's making good beer for you, God bless you. But I will tell you that if you can add a small bit of, of quality beta-glucanase silanase um, combination, as an example, and get a consistent runoff that fits your process. You get consistent beer that makes great beer. So it becomes a, uh, it becomes a choice uh, on what you want to do. It's a tool. So whether you use it or somebody else uses you know, it's something that uh, I think the industry should recognize it as it's not a... Um, it's not an entity to change the process. It's an entity to, to help a brewer make the best product that he can make, you know, as well as save money, um, increase sustainability, uh, increase your extract usage, and decrease your, your grain usage, et cetera. It's just, uh, it's just a tool. Yeah. 
These are all naturally occurring enzymes we're talking about. It's we're not reinventing nature. That's right. We're not God. That was my friend and former colleague, Mark Sammartino, live from the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. I always learn something whenever I talk to Mark. If you want to learn something, check out his presentation. All Master Brewers members can now get their very own free copy of Mark's presentation, along with all the other outstanding posters and presentations from Calgary. Download your copy of the conference proceedings at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a direct link. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting-edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect is now open, with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details, or check the direct link in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Stop and keep it.